0: Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. So hi, Paul. Thanks for coming down and talking to us today. Hi, Tara. We're, we're here um, because Paul and I have um, taught together Many times, it's, um, we're piling up times here, yes. um, um, in, introduction to, um, to financing farm businesses and value-added agriculture and various topics like that. Um, and I'm going to let Paul introduce himself because he has a long and illustrious career in, in this field, and he will describe that better than I will.
1: Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, so my name is Paul Dittman. And I'm with Badgerland Financial, which is part of the farm credit system. I'll maybe mm-hmm. say a little bit about that in a minute here. Uh, my position with Badgerland is I'm emerging market specialist. So I work with people who are doing things outside of commodity production. I work with a lot of value-added businesses, uh, CSA growers, people direct marketing meat, um, organics, grazing. It's pretty broad, uh, the stuff that I do. And then I lead our beginning farmer program as well. Uh, I've been with Badgerland about five years. Prior to that, I was uh, at the State Department of Agriculture Mm -hmm. here in Wisconsin and was head of the Wisconsin Farm Center, which is the Farmers Assistance Program at the state. Um, I also did a short stint as Deputy Secretary of Agriculture. Before that, I was a county ag agent for 11 years in Sauk County. Mm -hmm. And so my whole career, I've been doing work on farm business planning, farm financial management, working with people in serious financial trouble, uh, but really just trying to, to build farm financial literacy. He mm-hmm. um, had a chance to write a book a few years ago called "Fearless Farm Finances." We just came out with the second edition of the book here a month or two ago, and uh, and that's a, I'm really proud of that piece of work. It's we tried to take everything you'd need to know about farm financial management, and put it into one
0: reference material that people can use. Cool. Well, we're going to talk about a lot today, obviously, given that introduction. So why don't we start with Badger Lamb and farm credit? Because I, um, when I travel around the country in particular, my impression is that people don't really understand the farm credit system, and they don't really understand that it is available for things like CSAs. And so... Um, nonprofits think they need to create loan funds and institutions are, you know, like people are like, oh, we're going to start a credit union for farms. And there is nothing like that. And I'm like, eh, there kind of is. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think you're right. I think a lot of people don't understand the farm credit system, but the farm credit system, it's a a series of cooperatives. They're located everywhere in the country. There's 70 some uh, local associations. They're all farmer owned, farmer led co-ops. Uh, Borrowers from an organization like ours own some stock in the co-op, and -hmm. uh, a lot of those co-ops pay dividends on that stock. Um, But our our primary mission is lending to agriculture and rural communities. Uh, We were started back in 1916 by the federal government, so we're actually a government-sponsored entity, even though there's no federal money in the system at this point. But we were started as direct competition to banks because Mm -hmm. farmers weren't able to get access to reliable credit at decent terms. So we've been around for over 100 years at this point. We're not um, limited by geography, you know, and I think that's where people sometimes get a little confused about our system, is if you're involved in agriculture, if you own agricultural assets or you're engaged in agricultural production, you're an eligible borrower, you can borrow from our system. And we we can loan money in the city of Milwaukee to somebody who's doing urban agriculture, as long as they're producing at least $500 a year of agricultural products, we can help them with their business. We can loan, loan to um, farm-related businesses or marketing processing businesses, as long as farmers uh, control the majority of the of the interest in that business and the profits are ending up in the pockets of farmers. That's really the key. Mm. So yeah, it's uh, the system's pretty broad, and and we have a lot of leeway in what we can do in terms of lending.
0: Mm-hmm. And does it operate nationally?
1: Yeah, it's a national system. So there okay. are farm credit co-ops in all fifty states, uh, Puerto Rico. I mean, they're they're everywhere.
0: Wow. So in theory, you could be anywhere in the United States and access farm credit. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you have regional territories, right? Right.
1: So I work for Badgerland Financial. We just serve 33 counties in southern Wisconsin. We are in the process of merging with two other farm credit associations. First farm credit, which is northern Illinois, basically from Bloomington, Illinois, all the way up to the, to the state line, including in the Chicago area. Uh, and AgSTAR, which is um, mm-hmm. northwest Wisconsin and most of Minnesota. So it's, it's going to be a pretty large co-op after the merger goes through.
0: Wow. Are, are other farm credit institutions merging as well? Is that something nationally Yeah, it seems now? like it's
1: kind of an ongoing process where mm-hmm. you have local associations. That, uh, well, I can tell you with ours, we've had some, um, some collaborative relationships with the other co-ops over the years. You know, we may share technology, we may share loan platforms, um, things like mm-hmm. that. And then there's sort of a natural, well, we're already working with these two things together. Why don't we work with five things together? Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon it's, it's a full-blown merger of the, of the associations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that's happened in other parts of the country as well.
0: So it just makes me think that Badgerland, you, because you're in Wisconsin, you would have been doing a lot of dairy and AgStar Agstar yeah. Northern Illinois would not have been doing a lot of dairy, right?
1: No, and that's, that is one of, the, one of the drivers behind the merger was mm-hmm. Agstar has a pretty uh, large uh, portfolio in hogs, and they do some dairy as well. Our portfolio tends to be, lean pretty heavily on dairy um, and also specialty crops, cranberries, potatoes, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, first farm credit is a lot of corn, soybeans, and some hogs too, but,
0: mm-hmm. uh, but primarily corn and soybeans. So, diversification in the loan portfolio right, yeah, 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 do egg egg commodity the big markets tend to move up and down simultaneously or not?
1: Uh, it really depends, you know sometimes they do this mm-hmm. last year, it seemed like they all kind of went down at the same mm-hmm. time, which is unfortunate, but um, there are other times when dairy is strong and corn and soybeans might be weak, or dairy is strong and hogs are weak, or vice versa so so having that you know being able to spread the portfolio a bit. And bringing in some specialty crops too, which which maybe don't follow the same commodity cycles that corn and soybeans might, Right. Uh, I think is a real strength.
0: Yeah. And do all of those entities have do as much of the emerging markets as you do at Badgerland?
1: I would say Agstar does. They've got a, a really robust portfolio. Um, and they have a, a person in a similar position to mine. His name is Sai Tao. I mm-hmm. think you might have met him. I met
0: him at the, that, yeah, yeah, that at the conference. Value yeah, at that
1: conference. Um, and Sai is a great guy. He he tends to focus maybe more on the minority community.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but they have uh, they've committed a pool of capital to emerging markets. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sai and I both serve on the on a regional uh, committee with other people from other farm credit associations mm-hmm. that are all centered around Agribank, which is our wholesale bank. Um, all looking at how we do a better job of lending into emerging markets, people doing local and and regional food systems production and marketing.
0: Hmm. Hmm. And then Northern Illinois as well, or
1: they do have some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they have. Uh, I don't believe they have a dedicated resource at this mm-hmm. point, but they do have someone who's a significant portion of his job is to work with mm-hmm. emerging markets. And I know he's made some inroads in in the Chicago area. Sure. With some of the bigger with the good food.
0: Good food in Chicago and right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I know they've uh, they've made some investments with Angelic Organics Learning Center. Sure, You know, made sure. some uh, sponsorship, mm-hmm. pretty significant sponsorship with that organization, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is doing a lot to train beginning farmers.
0: Right, right, right. So that, so, so... On a, I don't know, on a percent basis, how much activity in, just in Badgerland, because you would know that, is emerging markets compared to everything? Is it still a real tiny portion of what you do? Yeah, it's still a very
1: small percentage of what we do. The the loans tend to be small to begin with, Mm -hmm. and there just aren't quite as many people involved in it, Sure. although it's growing, obviously. But -hmm. uh, but it's still a pretty small percentage of our overall portfolio, Mm -hmm. our total portfolio is... Roughly four billion dollars, right? You know, I couldn't tell you
0: exactly what It's the a American lot of CSAs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would take <laughs> a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, and and just to remind our listeners, um, you're cooperative, which means that your members are your owners. Right. Right.
1: Yep. And it's one member, one vote. So mm-hmm. whether you have a fifty thousand dollars loan with us or a five million dollars loan, your vote counts the same.
0: Right. I have clients who, um, who bank with you, and I think one of the things that I, and I only work with value-added people for the most part, um, so one of the things I have really appreciated about you guys is that you really understand agriculture because right. some of the people that I work with, a commercial lender would have absolutely no idea how to support, Right. Right. I mean, I'm thinking about seasonality, for example. They, I mean, the whole idea that you would get paid, who would be in a business where you only get paid one month out of the year, you know, <laughs> and the Badgerland, you guys raise your hand and say, oh, farmers, that's us, you know, that's what you right. do, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and. The cyclical nature of agriculture, too. You know, we're kind of in a down cycle right now, mm-hmm. and it's it, we've been in it for three years, really. Then this looks like it could be the fourth year. Oh boy, uh, we go through that all the time, so we mm-hmm. understand that, and, mm-hmm. and we know how to work with our borrowers through those down times. Mm-hmm. And that, that's not to say that other lenders, I mean, there are commercial lenders that have ag uh, lending portfolios as well, and, and so they certainly understand it, but um but it's our it's our only business.
0: Right. Right. And your farmer and you're owned by your farmers, right? So it right. it does create I think a different dynamic for the financial institution when the owners are farmers. Right. Because they too get the cyclicalness of it. Oh, you bet. Yeah. yeah. The owners of JP Morgan Chase don't really understand that, right? Right. Yeah, probably they're not really traded before they come
1: to a board meeting. No,
0: probably not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in your role at Badgerland, you do a lot of education, is my impression. Education of, of um, aspiring farmers, of existing farmers, right? Yeah, that's a big part of my job. Yeah. Um, last year, I think I gave 47
1: presentations. One a week, basically. Just yeah. about. Yeah. 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 yeah, and it's all about um, how to put together your balance sheet and how mm-hmm. to understand it, interpret it, understand mm-hmm. the ratios. Putting together cash flow projections, writing a business plan, things that a lender looks for when uh, when considering a credit request. Mm-hmm. You know, we're looking at credit score, we're looking at the cash flow, we're looking at what kind of collateral you have to offer, and how much skin you're putting in the game. You know, you have mm-hmm. to come in with a down payment of some sort. Um, do we need to get a loan guarantee, and how does that work? You know, mm-hmm. if we're partnering with the USDA Farm Service Agency or another entity like that. So. Yeah, trying a big part of my role is just trying to help people understand that whole process and and get a better handle on their own financials. Some of that is um, partially because it makes them better borrowers. Ultimately, uh, part of it is just my own history, especially with the Wisconsin Farm Center, where we were running the Farmers Assistance Hotline and we were getting calls from people who were in really serious financial trouble, people going through foreclosure or bankruptcy, you know, and just sitting at a kitchen table and the misery that people go through and Trying to help people avoid that,
0: you right? Know, I don't want
1: somebody to get down that right.
0: road, right? It's almost like at the farm center. It's it. The frustrating part must be how it's. You must feel like it's too late. You know, if they, if only these people had called three years ago. You know, you could. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That was always a big frustration, mm-hmm. and it, it and it's understandable. You know, and farmers are of independent. Mm-hmm. They don't want to ask for help. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like you're. It feels like you're weak or you're giving mm-hmm. up if you're asking for help. And so, yeah, often they they would come to the farm center when the sheriff's sale was next week or right. something like that. And then it's just too late.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, I... I um I also have a theory about this, that um, because farm enterprises have gotten so much bigger over time, and even value-added, we do a lot of work with little value-added, except that I, the more I work with them, the more I think that they, too, need to be a lot more ambitious and bigger than they think they need to be in order to be successful, and then that means yep. the money is more complicated, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's um, the one thing that I'm encouraged about with people who are engaged in value-added production, or we have a lot of beginning farmers who are not coming from a farm background, so Mm -hmm. they don't have the family backstop that maybe we've had traditionally, Mm -hmm. where someone is a second or third generation farmer. They tend to really know that they have to understand the financial piece of it. There's nobody that's going to step in and bail them out if things don't go right, so, um, so I do appreciate the fact that they're they're really open to getting that kind of education. They're seeking it out. They're, there's a real thirst for it,
2: mm-hmm. and I know
1: you're seeing that as well. And mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. why you put together a training to get other people out there able to counsel mm-hmm. on the financial side of things.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's critical because the money has become such such an obstacle, and um, because it's complicated. Right. And what. I see happening is because it becomes an obstacle. And so people think, well, that's because the money isn't there. But the money is, my my experience has been the money is there. The people who need it aren't ready to access it yet, which yeah. is all about this financial literacy and putting a packet together. And you know what I mean? that That yeah. is compelling in a business, making a compelling business case.
1: Right. And understanding um, what it takes to make a loan. You know, mm-hmm. um, right. especially with value-added, it mm-hmm. you, know, you get you get into specialized equipment, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, specialized equipment, it's it's a difficult thing to put a collateral value on that. Mm-hmm. You know, you buy a walk-in cooler, it might be ten thousand dollars that it costs. So someone comes to us and says, "Well, I need ten thousand because I need to put in this walk-in cooler." And from a lender's perspective, we have to look at okay, worst case scenario, the person isn't able to make the loan payments on that ten thousand dollar walk-in cooler. What what do we have? I mean, what's our recourse? We have to take the walk-in cooler. We have to sell it and use the proceeds to pay off the loan. What's it going to be worth if we have to come in and dismantle a walk-in cooler and try to sell it? It's probably worth ten cents on the dollar, maybe if we're lucky. So, um, so a person comes in says, "I need $10,000. We're saying, "Well, you're going to have to put up at least half of it." Mm-hmm. They say, "Well, I don't have five thousand dollars. That's why I'm coming to you for a loan." You know, so that it, that piece is is a difficult explanation. The cash flow too. You know, when we we underwrite a dairy loan. We can we kind of have an idea of what those cows are going to produce and how much that milk is going to be worth, and what the check is going to be each month that's going to then support the loan payments someone's doing some sort of value added product we don't know if there's going to be a market for it we don't know if it's going to sell for five dollars a pound or three dollars a pound, or maybe it doesn't sell at all mm-hmm. then what you know so trying to put those cash flow projections together in, in a way that's realistic and, and uh, believable is a real challenge yeah
0: and i have I have a a theory, too, that um, that one of our challenges is getting the people who are actually underwriting loans un- understanding some of these value-added um, enterprises as businesses so they can feel comfortable and qualified to underwrite them. I have a lot of people who are are um, credit analysts, kind of people who will who will contact me and say, "Well, what do you think about this?" You know, and can you talk to this guy and tell me what you think about this? Because they just don't see a lot of them. Like if yeah. you, you know, in dairy, you'll see a dairy farm, you know, every day. Um, not so much when with some of these value-added on-farm enterprises.
1: Right, and every one of them is unique.
0: Isn't right.
1: It? Yeah, the business structure is unique. The product is unique. You know, you deal deal with people who have a distilled product for example right and it may be in storage for 3 years before it can mm-hmm. even start to be sold so how do you cash flow between year 0 and year 3 when mm-hmm. the product mm-hmm. is all in storage and it's it's increasing in value every day but you To access that value, you have to sell it, right? Right. So somehow the loan has to be cash flowed.
0: Right. Right. There, it just raises a whole bunch of of complications that you never had to deal with. If it was, as you said, with a dairy farm, they have a milk check. We kind of know what it'll be, and it's fairly straightforward. Right. Yeah. These enterprises are so different for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. But we have a lot of really interesting. Value-added farm enterprises in our state. I think we were really um, um, we're kind of ahead of the game in that regard. There are other parts of the country that you know, like maybe I'm thinking of like um, Seattle, Portland, California. There's some enterprises that that are kind of like that. Cowgirl Creamery isn't you know comes to mind. That um, I think Amy bought them, but oh wow, yeah, okay. yeah, um, but you know, enterprises like that that have been high value-added farm enterprises that have been around for 20, 25 years. And now we have a different thing that they they need to transition. Do you see transitions now?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of uh, those tra-
0: value-added. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's that's part of the the role that I play at Badgerland is I, I do get involved in transition planning with conventional farms primarily, but more and more we're seeing uh, like CSA operations, mm-hmm. you know, that the first the first uh, wave of CSA is those people who really started the CSA movement right. That's 20, 25 years ago now. Right, and they are at the point now where they're, you know, I've been growing vegetables for 25 years, and mm-hmm. I've built a, a good business, mm-hmm. but now it's time for me to go and do something else. So how do we transition those assets? Um, in some respects, maybe a little bit easier because they've got a customer base. They may not have a lot of hard assets. They may not own a lot of land or infrastructure that has to be transferred that they it complicates um, a conventional farming situation where you may have hundreds or even thousands of acres that are, that have to be transitioned, and the land value has gone up so much. Right, and a lot of the reason the va- the value has gone up is not because of its agricultural production value. It's so the the market value and the value of the business, the value of the farm as a business, may be two widely different numbers.
0: Mm-hmm. But with the CSAs,
1: I think they tend to be a little closer.
0: Right, know? right, because it's really the values in the cash flow, the business there. It isn't quite so, right, because right. there aren't so many acres involved in a CSA. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: What's going on with farmland values?
1: You know, they seem to have kind of stabilized at this point, but we haven't seen a lot of, of transactions. You know, there isn't a lot being oh, sold right now. So I'd say we don't have a good test of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm concerned if we have another, you know, fourth year in a row of declining net farm income. We've had mm-hmm. three years in a row of declining mm-hmm. net farm income nationally. Um, Wisconsin's been a little bit insulated from that because we've because of the diversity of our agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, so our values have stabilized where other other states in the area have actually declined, and some states have declined pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I am concerned that this this could be a bad year, you know, and it mm-hmm. it may take a year or two before. Land values you really start to decline it it's going to take you know there's land that's going to be forced to be sold. people mm-hmm. get divorced, people uh, pass away, estates mm-hmm. have to be settled, and so at some point there's going to be land that's going to be sold, whether someone wants to sell it or not and and that's where we 'll get a true test of the market so
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'm I'm concerned right now I think that I think we could see a decline in land values
2: mm-hmm.
1: Is that a serious issue with land values having doubled in the last Ten, fifteen years, even if they drop by twenty or thirty percent, we're still far ahead of where we were ten, right. 20, you
0: know, ten, twenty years ago. Do you still see money coming from overseas to buy farmland here?
1: We haven't seen it in Wisconsin, but Wisconsin has uh, has some pretty stringent laws about foreign ownership of land and corporate ownership of land. Mm-hmm. So we haven't necessarily seen it. Like other parts
0: of the country have.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Because hasn't that been part of what has been driving up the value of farmland?
1: It has in in other states especially. Mm -hmm. You know, Wisconsin, again, we we don't have the big investors coming in and buying Mm -hmm. land because of corporate ownership uh, restrictions. But states like Indiana, Illinois, Mm -hmm. Iowa, you know, those land values in a large part were driven by investor funds that are coming in and buying Mm -hmm. up big chunks of land. Mm-hmm. And some of it was driven by 1031 exchanges, too, like-kind property exchanges, mm-hmm. where someone maybe sold a piece of land and, and bought some more you mm-hmm. know, someplace else, mm-hmm. that sort
0: of thing. hmm To kind of consolidate. Yeah. 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 Huh. So, Fearless Farm Financing. Um, when did you write the first edition of that?
1: Uh, the first edition
0: came out in
1: 2012. 2012. It was in early 2012. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so now we just released the second edition. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of teaching from the first edition, and the kinds of questions that people asked over and over and over again mm-hmm. really highlighted, oh, we didn't explain this part right. of the balance sheet very well. We need to go back and and uh, do a better job of explaining that. So we mm-hmm. did – we rewrote every chapter, you know, mm-hmm. really did a pretty significant rewrite wow. of the book. And I think a lot. the first edition was, was – oh, I thought it was good, mm-hmm. but – I think the second edition is much better. Cool. We added a couple chapters, too. Like, we didn't have anything on transition planning in the first book, mm, for example.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we added a chapter on transition planning.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. And, um, and the the target reader for that book is who?
1: It's, well, it's really any farmer. Okay. We, the, uh, the book was supported, um, the, actually, the writing of both editions was supported by a USDA Beginning Farmer Rancher Development Program Grant. Mm-hmm. So the the grant not only provided funds to write the book, but also to teach workshops based on the book. And so those workshops are really targeted to beginning farmers. Um, But I think think the book is really applicable to anybody, anybody who's farming. And we we really tried to make it sort of a timeless piece that Mm -hmm. someone could go back and refer to it over and over again. You know, thinking about doing a big capital investment on the farm, you can go back and read the chapter on capital investment analysis and figure out how to do an internal rate return calculation and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, because it's not like you read a book like that and it's kind of drinking out of a fire hydrant in a way. There's so much in it, right? And so having a resource like that is a reference to go back to makes a ton of sense, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, we haven't been asked to do any readings, or you know, I was mm-hmm. kind of thinking maybe James Earl Jones or someone we could do have him do a dramatic. Oh right, reading a dramatic reading yeah.
0: of the balance sheet. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> Darn, yeah. Michael Perry, right? <laughs> that would be perfect. Yeah, yeah Michael get Perry Michael Perry be. to do it. There yeah. you go. Yeah, that would be a hoot. Um, um, so, so are you teaching though, or are you kind of on using the book now, you know, are you doing a book tour? Is that something that you do or?
1: Uh, not as such, but uh-huh. we are, um, we have four workshops that we're going to be doing as okay. part of the, the initial grant. So we did, um, we did a workshop in Lanesboro, Minnesota last fall. It was a day long workshop as part of the new farmer university up there. Mm-hmm. We're going to be doing one in Iowa and one in Illinois this coming winter, early winter, I think, November, December. And then we'll have one more in Wisconsin. But then we also, you know, those are the ones that we've officially committed to as part of the grant. Uh, but we also are doing some other other trainings sure. and stuff. Like sure. um, Craig Chase, who's one of the co-authors of the book, mm-hmm. he's at Iowa State University. Uh, he and I did a workshop here in Northern Iowa uh, two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Cool. So yeah, so we're doing doing quite a bit of training.
0: Cool. Well, we'll have to talk because we're we're also as part of Edible Alpha, we're doing some training development yeah. um, and and digitizing it, so so it'll be more broadly available. So we should talk as we might be able to do something together. That would oh, be, great. be great.
2: Yeah, we'd yeah. love to do that. Yeah,
0: yeah, because I think um, I think the the. The value-added farm and young farmer movement um, um, is it, it, well. You see this because you wrote the book. They really do, as you said, are they're hungry for good information about right. this stuff because they realize, as you said, that they need to know this. It has to work, or yeah, Dad's yeah. not writing a check later if it doesn't work.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's been really gratifying. How many people said that they've read it or? Um, at least have read pieces of it. Uh, we've had a number of technical colleges that have mm-hmm. picked it up as a text, cool. which we didn't really write it as a textbook. Mm-hmm. It was really, um, we tried to write it in a way that was technically accurate that mm-hmm. followed the Farm Financial Standards Council guidelines, Right. but that was farmer-friendly and right. was accessible to farmers. And so there's, there are quotes from farmers and mm-hmm. farmers talking about how they how they use these same principles in their day-to-day life operating Mm -hmm. their farms.
0: You know, who else could use this, uh, listening to you talk about this, is um, I I also train people who are, are not from farming, but in Wisconsin, you know, anybody who's doing food, small business development, center consultants and people like that if you're doing if you do food enterprises in this state sometimes there are going to be these farms that show up and their their financial statements aren't laid out the same way and it's sort of confusing for people even advisory people right Um, and it's why a lot of accountants in this state um will just say i don't do farms yeah
1: yeah yeah, and that's something that we did address in the book. Mm. When we talk about the differences, for example, between a farm balance sheet and a balance sheet from another type of business. Mm-hmm. You know, we typically use a market basis balance sheet, whereas most mm-hmm. businesses use a cost basis balance sheet. Mm-hmm. And there's reasons that you would use both, you know, and ideally we'd like to have a farmer that has both.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In reality, a farmer's probably just going to have the market basis balance sheet. Right. Um, accrual accounting. Farmers Mm -hmm. use cash accounting. Most businesses outside of agriculture use accrual accounting. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a method to do an accrual adjustment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can still do your cash accounting and you can use your Schedule F as long as you have balance sheets at the beginning of the year and the end of the year, mm-hmm. you've got everything you need to do an accrual adjusted income mm-hmm. statement.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we, we explain
0: all that in the book and how right. that works. Right, right. I mean, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that is kind of, um, for, for young business people, period, it is confusing, to it say is. the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and advisory people are hard to find. So I know at Badgerland, for example, you have an accounting group. Do you want to... Or bookkeeping? I don't know if you call it accounting or bookkeeping or what, but... It's tax and accounting. Tax and accounting. Yeah, yeah. and they
1: they have separate roles. So we have Mm -hmm. people who are tax consultants, and they strictly do farm income tax returns, Mm -hmm. or I shouldn't say just farm income tax returns. They'll do income taxes for individuals and for other types of businesses, but they specialize in agriculture. Mm -hmm. And then we have farm accounting specialists. And the farm accounting specialists do record keeping, um, can put together financial statements, that sort of thing. And they... they, um, it's kind of an interesting group because they'll they work on sort of a custom basis. So one farmer may say, you know what, I want you to come out and sit in the farm office every two weeks and do all of my bookkeeping for me. You know, I don't want to even mm-hmm. touch my books. You know, I, you give me a high level overview. Other people are doing QuickBooks and mm-hmm. they send they send in a file maybe quarterly, have it cleaned up and email back to them. Mm-hmm. And that's all they really want. Right. And so they'll they'll work however someone wants them to work.
0: Do you um do all of the farm credit institutions around the country have that? Is that they standard don't. or no? No, it's Sadly. not standard.
1: Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's um and it's a real strength for Badgerland. I it's, bet. it's something the two associations that we're merging with, neither one of them has a tax and accounting group.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it's it's been great for us because there are a lot of people that we're not able to make a loan to we can do everybody's taxes. We can right. help everybody with accounting. And it's well, and a it's nice kind entry of a, point.
0: yeah, and it's kind of a precursor because if when I start working with people, um, nine times out of ten, their problems with their financial statements, particularly their balance sheet, that need to they need work to work with an accountant to get processes in place and things in yeah. place to make them right and. In farm enterprises, if you have typical accountants who just don't know the farm accounting standards to begin with, right? It's it's yeah. like a, the perfect storm for problems. So yeah, yeah, it's I can totally see how you guys ended up developing that resource within Badgerland.
1: Yeah, it's a really important important um, piece of what we do.
0: Yeah, yeah, I bet, and I bet it helps with your loan performance too because these people have their. It does. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's um, yeah. If you don't know how to keep records, and you're coming in for a loan, how do we how do we judge whether or not your your past
0: performance is really right. accurate? Right, and the sad part is they don't, um, especially young farmers. I but older farmers too. I've seen this too. That that um, that you know, QuickBooks is not designed for farm accounting. <laughs> and yeah. so they get, they set it up in QuickBooks and it's awkward for, in as yeah. applied to agriculture, right? And so, it is. and then QuickBooks is easy to, it's easy to put numbers in, in a way, you know? It, and so you put stuff in and it goes into the wrong place. And if you don't know enough to know that that's the wrong place, you know what I mean? It's right. not their fault, right? So they could be really good business people, and, yeah. their, and, and their books aren't right. Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. So you wrote the book and you're doing some training about it. And um, it's an incredible resource. You, Where can people find it?
1: Well, it's the book is published by Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES, which mm-hmm. is the same organization that puts on the Organic Farming Conference in La Crosse every spring. So uh, they can order it directly from Moses.
0: Okay. it actually
1: belongs to Moses. I should say I I, I don't get royalties from the book. Or Damn, like <laughs> does
0: does Moses?
1: Moses does. Moses yeah. does. Well, that's yeah, a worthy, a non-profit. yeah, a worthy non-profit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, so you can order it through Moses or you can order it through Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I think I think through Moses it's nineteen ninety-five. I think mm-hmm. Amazon's probably the same. But if um, if a person buys multiple copies there's a discount. Okay. I think it's $14 or something for for multiple copy mm-hmm, order. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Delivered by drone by Amazon, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe not, I don't know. Um so when you when you teach um I you kind of went through the topics, the general topics, but I think it'd be useful for people to just hear that list again. So when you're teaching somebody about the things that people need to know and have documented in order for you or somebody like you to underwrite?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And what I've been, and I've, I've changed a little bit the way that I teach mm-hmm. over the years, you know, just based on looking out to the audience and seeing when their faces look a little confused. Right, you know, like, right. Okay, kind of blank. Yeah. <laughs> I need to yeah. change this a little. Right. Um, and, you know, what I what I typically will tell farmers is I'll say, Okay, so you've got a Schedule F. Mm-hmm. You know, If you're in agricultural production, you're going to be filing a Schedule F with your federal income tax return, mm-hmm. and that's profit or loss from farming. So if you've got your Schedule F you're, and you're being forced to do that by the federal government, if you can force yourself to do a balance sheet on January 1st every year mm-hmm. and get in that habit of constantly updating your balance sheet on January 1, you'll have everything you need to do a full-blown analysis of your farm operation. Mm-hmm. So you've already got half of it in hand, mm-hmm. just all you need to do is get this other piece, you know, and then then go from there. And then I talk about, okay, so here's how you do a cash flow analysis at the end of the year. Put together your your uh, year-end statement of cash flows. And then here's how you do an income statement and calculate mm-hmm. your profitability, rate of return on assets, rate of return on equity. Talk a lot about balance sheet, you know, mm-hmm. and here's, here's what current assets. That's cash, uh, anything that's going to be converted to cash or anything that's going to be used up on the farm within a year. Here's what current liabilities are. Mm-hmm. That's anything that's due now or anything that's gonna come due within a year. You know, we go through that. I, mm-hmm. I tend to focus a lot on the balance sheet because it, it it's it what really you is used to underwrite. Case. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, then we look a little bit at the schedule F. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, to get a good schedule F, you have to have accurate records. So what does it take to, to get accurate records? And I talk a little bit about record keeping systems. It's not my area of expertise by far, mm-hmm. but you know, try to talk about, okay, so here. You want records that are going to help you manage your farm operation, but it should all flow into that Schedule F because it becomes a really important document when you're using it for business planning purposes and not just for tax planning purposes. Um, But yeah, just uh, those are kinds of the things that I talk about, you know, Mm -hmm. that cash flow is really, really critical. You have to Mm -hmm. have cash flow because you can't survive very long without cash flow. Mm -hmm. Um, Profitability in the long run is important. In the short run, maybe not so much, you know, is it, is it going to make a difference in your decision making if you find out that your rate of return on assets is five percent as opposed to ten percent, you can sell your farm and move to right. North Dakota because you can get ten percent right. rate of return on assets in North Dakota. Probably not. So I, I I talk about profitability, but I don't harp on it quite so much. Mm-hmm. There's certain times when it becomes really important to know profitability. When you're coming in f- to, to uh, get a loan, a loan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you don't want to borrow money at right. 6% to achieve 3% rate mm-hmm. of return on assets. That mm-hmm. makes no sense. But if you can get a loan and mm-hmm. it's at 6% and you're achieving a 10% rate of return mm-hmm. on assets, it makes sense to have some leverage
2: mm-hmm.
1: while you're also mitigating some risk. You, know, you don't want to take on too much debt.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, so those are the sorts of things that I talk about. Talk about credit uh, credit rating, you know, mm-hmm. and credit scoring, what goes into credit scoring, how do you build your credit score, because that's really key. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about character, which is the first C of, yeah. the five C's of lending. Character is it. And, and a lot of that comes down to your credit score and how mm-hmm. you pay your bills on time and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then um, with it, more advanced audiences, I'll get into investment analysis. Mm-hmm. And how you do that internal rate of return calculation? Mm-hmm. It's something that we don't use very much in agriculture. Right. Businesses outside of agriculture use it all the time. Real right. estate, in particular. Sure. But in agriculture, we don't think about that very much. And so, um, so I've been trying to. I like doing it. And so I, I'm trying to work that in when I can, mm-hmm. when the audience is, is in the right frame of mind for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with the value added farm people, then they have a whole other host of issues, right? Because they're going to, as you, you mentioned, the distillery people have three years of, you know, brandy in caskets for, or in, in um, barrels for three years. And um there are just a whole bunch of other working capital needs in those businesses right. that are different than just a farm. Mm-hmm. yeah,
1: yeah, and the um and I, I think back to one of the first times that you and I taught together,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you put up a slide, and of course, your experience is all in this mm-hmm. value
0: world, yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, and you had a slide. In fact, I've stolen your slide and uh, I use perfect. it. Perfect, I love <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, but talking about mm-hmm. the fact that when you're starting your business, you're financing it a lot with equity,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then at some point in the future, you may replace that with debt. Mm-hmm. And and farmers typically think just the opposite. You know, mm-hmm. you start off your career, you're probably going to have a lot of debt, and at some point, you'll eventually replace your debt with equity. You're mm-hmm. basically paying off your loans, and hopefully, you get to the point where you have no loans. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I like to use your slide because it. It's kind of mind-blowing for some farmers to think, wow, I'm going to start with equity and replace it with debt? Mm-hmm. I'm taking on more debt as mm-hmm. my business grows? But it, but when you think about it at a deeper level, it makes a lot of sense. If you're profitable mm-hmm. and you're achieving a 10% rate of return on assets, why wouldn't you want to take some of your equity out and replace it with debt and then
0: and take reinvest your equity and reinvest
1: it someplace else? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Even if it's putting in a bigger capital investment into your business to
0: take it sure. to the next level. Sure. It is a different way of thinking about things because people um, in in food businesses, I tell people, you got to have a relationship with a bank because you're always going to be, you're always going to need working capital support as you right. grow, right? It doesn't go away. You will rarely end up in a food business with no debt. Yeah. Right. Uh, you're kind of dying if you're in that place.
1: Yeah, and it, it's it becomes the next hurdle point. You know, it's exactly getting started, you know, and, and a lot of people are coming to us and they don't have much equity and they're right and they're saying, Well, you know, this business is gonna take half a million dollars and, mm-hmm. and I've got thirty thousand. Right. It's like, Well, boy, it, you know, let's rethink this. Mm-hmm. Is there a way that you can avoid some of this capital investment, at mm-hmm. least initially yeah. to get yourself up and running and build your cash flow and mm-hmm. then then start taking on some debt? But there's a, there can also be a point, and I'm thinking of one person in particular where you um, you can get to a point where your business is is relatively successful, but maybe your process isn't very efficient,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you you haven't hit hit the cash flow and profitability levels that mm-hmm. you need to hit, and yet the sales are taking off, and you've got to grow this business to 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 reach get that there. Level. Yeah, yeah, you've got this opportunity that's staring you in the face, and you just you don't have the ability to take on the debt to get to that next that next place. And that's it, a real tough
0: it's spot. It's to really tough. And I, I tell people it, that food businesses in particular grow in step function. It isn't a smooth thing, right? Yeah. And so every time you hit the top of that, you know, you, you're on that step and you max out that step, it's a leap to get to the next step. Yeah. And it's typically you're in a situation like you just described. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to talk a little bit about um, you know you have thirty thousand dollars and you want to buy a half a million dollar um, farm, let's say, um, and because I think that um, the easy thing to do is to say, oh my God, there's no way to do this, right? That that's yeah. one easy way to do it. The other easy way is to say, ah, nobody wants to help me and those awful banks and right. Yeah. Um, and you alluded to let's step back and think about how we might make this work, is it, is, which is the middle path, yeah. right? So let's talk about some options that, that might be available in a situation like that. Well, that's, there's,
1: um, I think of it as kind of an ownership mentality in agriculture. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to own the land. We want to own the buildings. We want to mm-hmm. own the equipment. We want to own the cows. We want to own everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe, there's, maybe there are ways of getting into the business where you don't necessarily have to own everything. Um, I do I do some presentations for grazing groups,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we'll have beginning farmers who say, "Well, I'd like to I'd like to graze beef cattle, mm-hmm. and so the first thing I need to do is buy some land." Mm-hmm. Well, is that really the first thing you have to do? Mm-hmm. Well, I need to build fence, and I need to put in a watering system and lanes and things like that. And why would I do that on a rented piece of mm-hmm. land? Well, That's where the internal rate of return calculation mm-hmm. comes in. Okay, so if it costs you ten thousand dollars to put fence on a on a rented pasture, and you can rent it for fifty dollars an acre. As long as mm-hmm. you've got it tied up for five years, you could walk away from that $10,000 investment at the end of the five years, and it's it's more than paid for itself. In fact, we'll do the calculation, mm-hmm. and the internal rate of return might be 20% on that mm-hmm. investment. Well, if you went and bought that land, and it cost you $4,000 an acre, or even $3,000 an acre, the interest cost alone is going to mm-hmm. be three times what you'd pay in rent, and then you have no money to put the infrastructure in either.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and it can be, uh, there are a lot of businesses that are like that, where mm-hmm you stop and think about you just need control over those assets mm-hmm. for a longer period of time in order to get your cash flow out of it you don't necessarily have to own all the assets at least right. not initially
0: right even with Terra's way we didn't um we had a separate um we separated the ownership of the of the real estate from the operating company which um, is probably even more unusual in an operating manufacturing environment, but it's it makes a lot of sense um, yeah. from an investment point of view. For um, you know the people who are the the operating company in a scenario like that is where all the risk, uh, the high reward, high risk part of the deal, right? Yeah. And the real estate is kind of lower reward, lower risk, and right. it it actually is a different kind of investor who likes the two different kinds of investments, and when you Bundle them together; it doesn't work very well from an investor point of view. Yeah, ironically. Um, so so I I uh, what I encourage people, and it sounds like what what you're talking about in this grazing scenario is is there are these to like partitioning of a deal like this. So there are these different a- aspects of it. So there's the lot, there's the land, there's the in fencing and other kinds of infrastructure equipment kind of things in right. that case and then there's the cattle um, and they're all different assets right yeah. and and so part of the trick to doing these is that partitioning and thinking about what do i actually as you said what do i actually have to own what don't I? How do I finance different portions of this? Right. Right.
1: Yeah, and sometimes it um, we'll work with the USDA Farm Service Agency and mm-hmm. get a loan guarantee. Right. Or uh, we've worked with um, FSA on the Beginning Farmer Down Payment Loan Program, mm-hmm. which is a nice way if somebody sure. really does need to buy land, mm-hmm. um, they can use that program.
0: And that take you need your takes the equity requirement down to five percent, right? That program. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah so it
1: really minimizes the the down payment requirement yeah. um, but there can be things equipment can be leased mm-hmm. um, fencing can sometimes be cost shared right you know and if you can get NRCS cost sharing it's seventy percent cost sharing mm-hmm. on on uh, fencing materials and right. labor
0: right
1: you know so there there are different ways but it's it's a matter of kind of thinking it. Thinking of it in a broader holistically,
0: sense. yeah, and I, I partitioning or buckets. Like, okay, let's think through how we're going to finance the cattle, and then we're how we're going to finance. This is what I mean about how money has gotten complicated, right? It isn't right. just money, isn't money, isn't money, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the other thing I I have worked with people on is in especially in a transition situation, um, is is getting getting. Using something like an option to purchase the land later or something, so yeah. they have a path to ownership, even though they can't afford the ownership in the beginning.
1: Yeah, and that's a that's a nice way of doing things. And some I've seen those where they've even got a shared appreciation agreement in there, mm-hmm. so that maybe you're leasing the the farm and you've got a an option that can be exercised within the next ten years to purchase it, and it's appraised on day one, right? And it'll be appraised again. Whenever you exercise your option, mm-hmm. but anything that you've done to add value to that farm during that period of time, mm-hmm. you've gotten part of that back. Right. You know? So it, it's a strong incentive to to maybe make some infrastructure improvements or do some things to build soil. Sure, you know, those sorts of things.
0: Sure. Yeah, and I think for those of us who care a lot about value added agriculture and we're we're doing things like grazing or organics, um, those systems. Uh, you know, there's this big upfront cost with those systems, right? Because they, you have to make those investments in the soil that take years and, or, or or the fencing or the seeding and uh, perennials, right? So there's a lot of cost that, but, that, but there's also a lot of value coming in. So how much value do you actually see? So that's a, that's a really interesting thought. If, if somebody in a, fa- like a grazing farm where, where somebody has been doing a fantastic job for 10 years with their rotational grazing system, those pastures are phenomenally productive usually, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, does that increase the value of that farmland? Like, do we see that or not so much? Yeah.
1: Unfortunately, it doesn't, it generally doesn't show up a whole lot.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: Well, it, we run into the same thing with people who maybe do a permaculture installation sure, where you've course. got a lot of perennial crops yep, that yep. you're growing. Um, or it could be an organic farmer who's got, you know, it's taken three years to get organic certification. Right. And they're building soil health over that period yep. of time, and they've built up really productive land. Unfortunately, the when land is appraised, it's appraised at its market value for the... As
0: real estate compared to... Yeah, Yeah,
1: what's the biggest market for mm-hmm. it? A, a value-added production facility on a farm is the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, where someone maybe builds an on-farm creamery and says, mm-hmm. "Well, cost me?
0: Two million you know. to put it on.
1: Yeah. So it must be worth two million.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you have to find just the right buyer who's yeah. going to come in and, and wants an on-farm creamery. Mm-hmm. But that, even that person, the appraiser is going to come in and say, well, that creamery is, you could store something in it or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it might be worth a hundred thousand, mm-hmm. not two million. And we only can, can loan against the appraised value. So, all of a sudden, that person needs a lot of equity to come in and buy that.
0: Right. Oil. What happens if... Um, so, so I have a case right now of a farm that is a really high-value-added enterprise. Um, and if... You know, and I'm just making these numbers up, but it could be that, that that business would be valued if you just were valuing it like a manufacturing, like a food brand manufacturing yeah. business. Mm-hmm. It would... A business like that right now is probably selling at eight times EBITDA maybe, yeah. something like that. Okay. So that could be like 10 million valuation. Right. Um, but it's high value added, has a bunch of assets. The farm itself is maybe 200 acres. I mean, it's not a huge farm. Yeah. Um, so as a farm, it's not going to be valued at anything like $10 million. Right. So what what happens? Like, how do we get those business... I guess what I'm trying to trying to figure out is how do we get the 10 million to those folks? You know, because they, if that wasn't on a farm, it would be easy.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, that's the piece that we've we've had difficulty with. Yeah, to be real I bet. With you. Um, yeah, I run into that even on a smaller scale where mm-hmm. you've got somebody's built a, a non-farm business that's that's got you know pretty strong cash flow and mm-hmm. and uh, when you do an EBITDA calculation, even if multiply it by three. Um, has has a lot of value. It's easy for us to loan against the real estate, right? Know, but it's really difficult for us to loan against the business value, right? Even though it's there, we know it's there. The cash flow is there to right? It. But uh, but we still we still have to look at the collateral, you know. And right. so a lot of that that collateral is it's blue sky, you know. Mm-hmm. And so and we can't really loan against it. That's where I think I think there and we've had this discussion mm-hmm. a number of times. And that's where I think there's a really strong place for private equity investors Mm -hmm. to come in and where we can maybe partner with them Mm -hmm. to get
0: that sort of a business um, Mm -hmm. transferred from one person to the next. Because there are businesses who are hitting this place in organic agriculture, I'm thinking in particular, that I know that are around the country that have established brands of something um, that are pretty nationally recognized. Um, So this isn't just a Wisconsin thing. This is a a national thing, and it's maybe a list of fifty companies that are farm enterprise based. You know, it's not an an infinite list, but I, I don't really know any private equity funds that are really aggressively going after this, and um, and it w- we need I would love to cultivate that because I think it's a really good invest. Some of these are really great investment opportunities.
1: Yeah, I and I totally agree with you. Um, and that's where, I think, in a partnership, you know, one thing that we know is mm-hmm. underwriting as a
0: lender. Yeah, 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 totally.
1: Yeah, I think we're mm-hmm. very strong on the
0: underwriting mm-hmm. side.
1: If we could partner with a private equity investor who maybe doesn't understand agriculture or mm-hmm. agricultural businesses,
0: right, right, to make, help can, them feel more comfortable with the ag side, yeah. because that is the problem, right? There, are, that it it is asking people to understand a lot. Like, uh, and then private equity typically is looking for like hockey stick scalability or some kind of opportunity to really you know really accelerate the growth yeah. of the business somehow, and these businesses aren't going to accelerate that way because they're no. farm based right right but there's a there's a role for businesses like that, I would think, within anybody's personal investment portfolio, never mind, in private equity funds portfolio, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So part of this may be just educating the private equity community about what what those investments might do for a portfolio. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it we might be at a teachable moment, you know, yeah. where maybe those private equity investors were looking at making investments in farmland.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now they might be looking at farmland and saying, oh, there's some states where it's up 10, 15, 20%." Yeah,
0: good point. Yeah. yeah it's not the slam dunk dropped, we thought we it would be. In. Right. Yeah. yeah. It it won't be this slam dunk we thought it might be. Yeah. 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 It it's an interesting thought anyway, and um, and and I see it as particularly challenging for the people who have these businesses that would be like, wow, if I weren't on a farm, it would be ten million. How am I? You know. Yeah. 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 It, the other, from the investor point of view, it because it's on a farm, they have their supply chain. I mean, it, you know, supply chain and these unique ingredients is such a hard obstacle for a lot of these. Right. Right. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting emerging opportunity, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, is there... Anything else that we should know about about that's going on in, within farm credit for f- young farmers, in particular, beginning farmers or yeah. veteran farmers? You know, there's oh
1: yeah, veteran farmers. That's a that's a good topic to bring mm-hmm. up. You know, there's yeah. an organization called the Farmer Veteran Coalition, mm-hmm. which is based out of California, but it's a national organization that's really committed to trying to help beginning farmers uh, or uh, military veterans who want to become farmers after mm-hmm. they complete their service. And it's, um, it's, a, it's been a great organization. It's, um, military veterans sometimes are a bit challenging, a bit challenging group to work with. You know, they're um, not only are they just getting started farming, so they don't sure. have much experience in a lot of cases, but sometimes there, there have been some credit issues that have developed over the years, you know, and I, I think it's maybe part of it is that when you move from one place to another... And maybe the credit card bill doesn't catch up with you, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes the credit has has taken a hit. And so Mm -hmm. helping people rebuild their credit, um, understanding cash flows. I actually just came back from, I was in California um, two weeks ago and and met with, the. I serve on the advisory panel for the Farmer Veteran Coalition's Fellowship Fund, which Mm -hmm. provides Mm -hmm. small grants to military veterans. Um, And I... There's a there's a strong need for business planning. Right, you know, they have to submit a business plan as part of that that grant application process, and the business plans for the most part are pretty rudimentary, and the cash flows are not very well done. So, mm-hmm. so there's a real strong need for education in that mm-hmm. in that group in particular. Um, beginning farmers in general, though, uh, I know the farm credit system for a number of years we've had we've had some easier underwriting standards for beginning farmers. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a a really strong move right now to, uh, to also lend into emerging, what we would classify as emerging markets or people involved in local and regional food systems Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what's the best way, some of the best practices that we can use within the system Mm -hmm. to lend to that, that segment of agriculture Mm -hmm. that we see as it's an important segment. It's a growing segment. Mm -hmm. Um, It's bringing a lot of new people into agriculture who didn't come from an ag background, you know, and it's. Some areas is really revitalizing uh, rural communities, and so we want to
0: support that sure, as course. best we can. So, and and you alluded to this before that you can lend to urban agriculture as well. We can. The real estate side of
1: it is a little more difficult. I but we,
0: would guess, yeah.
1: Yeah, because we we have.
0: I'm going to buy this old bombed out real estate. You know, this <laughs> warehouse in the <laughs> in, in an inner city, right? Yeah. Yeah we Talk that, about complicated to underwrite.
1: Right. Like yeah. uh, Detroit, for mm-hmm. example, there's a there's a lot of land that's vacant
0: in the city of Detroit. Right. Aren't they? Know? And I've i heard people talking about um, turning into farmland.
1: Yeah. 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 There's a fair amount of it that is being turned back into farmland.
0: And Isn't that a riot?
1: Yeah. One of our counterpart associations has been doing some work there. Cool. So, so yeah, there's um, uh, we have another association that's doing work in Cleveland, you know, Building uh, mm-hmm. greenhouses and things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's. Uh, I think agriculture is going to look a lot different ten, twenty years from now. You
0: know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's an interesting thing, and it's interesting to hear that you guys are participating in that. That's wonderful.
1: Yeah, we're
0: we're still finding our way though. The urban, I'm urban sure. agriculture is. Urban agriculture. Is finding its way, right? Not just you.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I've had conversations
1: with some folks in Milwaukee who, mm-hmm. are, who are involved in the urban ag movement, and you've got some organizations that have really good support, mm-hmm. a lot of grant support, things like that. You have other organizations maybe don't have quite so much support, mm-hmm. but we haven't quite figured out where our place is in there. You know, yeah. is it just education? Is it lending? Is it tax and accounting services? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, there's. Yeah.
0: Well, and I know people who are doing urban agriculture on a very large scale. I mean, in in Chicago, for example, and um, you know, those are those are people with money who are business people who are really serious about this. I mean, yeah. that's what I. Uh, it's kind of holy cow. Yeah. Um, the scale at which some folks are thinking about this is pretty big. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. I was at a, um, uh, on the East coast and it was interesting because I was at an event that, um, um, you know, if you're in New York city, there's a lot of energy around urban agriculture and then you're in the state of New York and there's also rural New York, which is traditional agriculture. And I think what, I don't see that here yet, but Mm -hmm. there was kind of this like us and them thing, like, like. Urban agriculture gets all the attention. Well, hey, what about us, who are traditional farmers, who yeah. are family farms that are suffering, and we need help? Yeah, I, I don't know. We don't. We don't seem to have that here yet. Um, no, I don't think so. We, I don't think we have enough urban agriculture to have built up. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, it was kind of an. It was kind of unfortunate because, um, because. While urban agriculture is exciting and new and we got to figure it out and all that stuff, we still need to figure out what to do with traditional farms. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and there, um, certainly a lot of them have been very successful, continue to be very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had, maybe that's part of what's gone on in Wisconsin, too, is that we've had some pretty traditional farms that have added some sort of a value-added component, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's milk processing or ice cream or cheese or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're, we're in a great place for that sort of thing. You you mentioned that uh, at the beginning of the Mm -hmm. interview, you know, that we seem to have a lot of stuff going on in Wisconsin. And part of it is because we have a lot of infrastructure for value added dairy processing Mm -hmm. in particular, but meat processing Mm -hmm. as well. We have more small scale meat processing plants than any other state in the country. So, you know that
0: uh, right? You know, people, when I tell people we have over a hundred small meat processing facilities, they're like, "Oh my God, are you kidding me?" Yeah, yeah. It's it's not even remotely close anywhere else. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, we've got fantastic infrastructure. Sure. Our road infrastructure is great. Mm-hmm. We have markets on both sides of the state: mm-hmm. the Twin Cities in Chicago, and then Milwaukee, Madison, and even mm-hmm. some of our uh, smaller cities. Sure. Are really good hubs for mm-hmm. um, for. Um, marketing products and things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I don't know. We're I think we're in a really great
0: spot here. We are. We are. Um I don't know if you've been following this, but um there was an article in the Willie Street Co-op reader, which is a super fun thing to read every month. Um, um this this month about what's been going on with prices for organic produce. Yeah. Um so that in that article, they talked about specific examples, right? That that um, in the winter we buy vegetables here from places organic vegetables from Mexico. They had a really good crop here, um, but broccoli that would have retailed for four ninety nine last year is a dollar ninety nine this year, Jays. and peppers and a whole range of organic produce is like that. Um, and um, it, it, there's some there's some thought that that those depressed levels of pr- of of pricing in organics are not going to go away when we switch seasons right there's just been so much more um land that's converted to organic production and i i don't know are you guys following that in Badgerland at all or
1: yeah i have i've been following it uh, quite a bit and mm-hmm. yeah and it well in CSAs, which always provided some um, some insulation from mm-hmm. the, the right. vagaries in the market, uh, we've seen more of our CSA growers that are having trouble filling their their subscriptions each year. Right, you know, right. having to do some things that are a bit more creative to try mm-hmm. to get get more sales. Well, then, if you don't fill all of your subscriptions, the product has to go someplace. So you're taking it to farmers market, and and it maybe isn't the same as buying at Willie Street Co-op, but but you're Consumers might be the same, mm-hmm. and they're certainly going to be comparing prices to some right. extent.
0: I mean, you know, uh, I don't know fifty cents or something difference is one thing, but when it is so drastically different, right? That yeah. it's kind of kind of shocking. And yeah. I don't, I, 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 my concern is that uh, a lot of the um, food hubs and local, f- you know, aggregator type um, organizations around the country. Um, may or may not be following this to the degree that they might, you know, because yeah. they, they, they only operate in the summer when they they have local crops. And uh, this could be a pretty difficult year yeah, for vegetable growers. Yeah. 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 So anyway, and conventional, do you have any sense of what's going on with conventional?
1: Yeah. Uh, conventional.
0: Produce. Produce. Mm-hmm. You know, I
1: don't really work in that area at yeah. all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because they've had a couple of years too that not nothing like to that degree, but um, they've had a couple of tough years in the conventional side. So, you know, there's more because of, the, because of local food. This is the irony, right? Because of the whole energy around local food and local food hubs and things, um, more produce is being grown all over the country, which is a wonderful thing. It's mm-hmm. just that now we've got... We haven't had gotten people eating more produce, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a, welcome to agriculture. It's a supply and demand world in agriculture, yeah, right? Yeah, you bet. Yeah. And dairy has been pretty low, although it looks like it maybe bottomed out, hopefully. Yeah, it, it was looking like this was going to
1: be a good year, and now the recent news with uh, with the grassland situation. And oh,
0: right, right, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, and I just heard of another smaller co-op that's, that's been dropping some patrons
0: and things. Oh, so. no, yeah, yeah not and that,
1: good. And that's really disconcerting
0: because it was always... They don't usually drop patrons. Like when I when I ran White Clover, we had pa- our own patron farms, and, I mean, we would, like, we would make mountains of cheddar cheese before we would drop farms. Yeah. You know what
1: I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that was the thing about producing milk is someone would always back into your yard and take your milk away Right, and pay you for it. It might right. not be a very good price, but... There was always somebody, yeah. Yeah, always somebody to take your milk. And so to think that the people are being dropped and may not be able to find someone else to, to pull a truck into the yard...
0: That's really disconcerting. Really disconcerting. And that you know, New York and other places that had dairy that kinda contracted over time, that they were worried about that. Those producers were worried about going into value added because they thought, you know, if I start pulling milk back, they'll just they'll the co- the one co op who will come out here will stop coming out here right. and then I'm SOL. So, well. so yeah. yeah, we've we haven't had that situation here in Wisconsin until it sounds like fairly recently. Yeah. Yeah. Huh.
1: Yeah, this is... uh,
0: It's going to be a challenging year, I think. Challenging year. Lots of change in food and agriculture. Yeah. Have we missed anything? Hmm.
1: Yeah, we've covered a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it's been fantastic to have you here, as always. And I'm looking forward to discovering other things we can do together. I think we can work on curriculum and things that could be very valuable to our listeners.
1: Yeah. And I'm excited with, uh, with this merger that we're, that we're going through right now, which will take effect July 1. Um, I think there's, there's going to be, uh, a, a lot more energy mm-hmm. in this space. Um, I know I'm going up, uh, at the end of the month to meet with my counterparts at, at Agstar mm-hmm. and, uh, and they've got yeah, they've got some good things going on. They've got a lot of ideas, a lot of energy. They're really enthused about cool. the, about working in this area. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I'm, I'm really excited about maybe having some new leadership and, uh, and, and new energy.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Terrific. Well, thanks for all the work you do with the um, value Added people around the state, and thanks for coming down.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Terry. Yeah, I always enjoy talking to you and working with you.
0: Cool. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.